fakes the handoff. He drives the lane. He takes it to the house. Bouncing off defenders. He just laid it in. He just put it up and in. 56 seconds to play. Oh, by the way. It's time. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Game 7 is over. It's an instant classic. It's the T.C. Martin Show. A three for the game. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. You've got to pinch me. The doctor is now in. Glad to have you with us on a Monday. Hope you had a great weekend. And uh, we start off this week with plenty of college basketball to talk about with you, including tonight, the WCC tournament. It's here. The semifinals of the West Coast Conference tournament, Gonzaga in town the number one team in the land, the undefeated Zags, are here. And it's a big deal because we didn't know if they were going to be here. Weeks ago, talking about potentially not coming to the WCC tournament. Well, they will be in action tonight at the Orleans Arena. Minus no fans, no cheerleaders, no bands, no administrators. Minus just about everybody. So, uh, But you can watch it on television. The doubleheader tonight on ESPN, Gonzaga and St. Mary's in one semifinal and BYU and Pepperdine at the Orleans Arena. And of course, Mountain uh, West Conference tournament play will get underway Wednesday with UNLV in a early game against Air Force. So college basketball is here. It is pretty much come full circle. A year ago, we remember where we were when we were really excited about the NCAA tournament. We had a great tournament at the Orleans Arena with Gonzaga at that point in time, 31-2 and two last year, looking to be the number one overall seed. They completed their tournament with the victory over St. Mary's. Last year at this time, the Mount West Conference was going at the same time at the Thomas and Mack Center has moved up a week. And we had a great buzzer beater by Utah State. Sam Merrill hitting a shot at the buzzer, propelling the Utah State Aggies over San Diego State last year. And then after that... It all came to a crashing halt. So now we have basketball. Still minus fans, but at least we are back. All right, T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank, Numchuck on the other side of the glass. We'll be talking, of course, a lot of hoops uh, this week as well. But uh, it is kind of surreal that if you flash back and you remember, oh, yeah, I was at those tournaments. That, and I remember how electric it was. And then all of a sudden, just days later, we're on the air and... We've got no basketball. Crazy times. But here we are. Well, it was like it was electric, and then all of a sudden there was a massive power outage. Yeah. The lights got turned off. They, they certainly did over at the T-Mobile, we know. And uh, we do have some uh, tournaments that have, that have already uh, loyal in Chicago, and Drake had a better game than they did the first time. Yeah, they did. Wasn't at 51-50 games, so yeah. Loyola actually pretty good in that Remember, one. Remember, 51-50 in, in overtime. Yeah. In overtime, <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, so uh, you know, some, some of the schools are starting to punch their tickets. Some of the dominoes are starting mm-hmm. to fall into place a little bit. I wonder if you're a team like Drake or something like that, though. Because you think you probably got a pretty good shot of still going, but now you're watching all these other conference tournaments, and now you're watching, you know, sitting on, you know, pins and needles, wondering, it's like, well, we hope there's not an upset here, and this conference gets another team in, or this, that, or the other, and now it's all about what's going to happen and seeding and everything else. So it's definitely an exciting time. Some people actually think that some of the conference tournaments of that are just as exciting, if not more exciting, in the big picture. Than the NCAA tournament. Like, I know, you know, every year we hear, and I th- I'm sure we're going to hear it about the Big Ten this year, it's like, well, the Big Ten might be tougher to win their conference tournament in some ways than winning the NCAA because you don't have any cupcakes on the route and that like they do. But mm. now with the, all these tournaments having buys and double buys and this, that, and the other, it's, uh, you know, it's definitely interesting. But uh, it's a fun time to be a basketball fan. But like you said, uh, you know, uh, not going to be going to a lot of games, but. Uh, might be a lot of people with carpal tunnel by the end of weeks end. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you may, you bring up a, a point about Drake, and I know a lot of people are thinking, well, Drake still possibly has a shot to win the tournament. Here's what happens with these conference tournaments that get played early on with their championship game. So we got a whole week this week of you know the Big Ten, like you said, the ACC, SEC, Big 12, all those. The WCC will take center stage, and they're kind of one of those weird ones where the semifinals are on Monday and the, and the championship game is tomorrow on Tuesday. Then here comes the Pac-12, Mountain West, you know, a lot of, a lot of bigger tournaments. 
what the committee tends to do is forget about what they saw a week or ten days ago. And it's not just committee. It's people in general. People remember the last things they saw. We certainly know that in the handicapping world. And so with Drake, you got to remember, they were the second-best team in that conference all year. So it wasn't like they were undefeated or had you know one or two losses, but they they did beat Loyola earlier on. But Loyola beat them as well, and then they beat them again in the championship game this past weekend and beat them fairly handily. They, exactly. And so when you look at the big scheme of things, you got to ask yourself: Okay, can Drake beat somebody that's maybe the fifth or sixth best team in the Big Ten or the ACC? And the answer is probably not. So. I know a lot of people are thinking, well, yeah, Drake's still got a shot. I don't think they do. Just because, again, it is 68 teams. You have all those automatic bids. Like you said, there are going to be some upsets. It's going to mess some things up. And especially this year, the chalk doesn't always win. No. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I like Drake. Good team. I know a lot of people probably haven't seen them play. But again, in a conference that is really not that stellar in the Missouri Valley, great shot that they don't, they don't get in. Oh, a, a very good shot that yeah. they don't get in. And like I say, we'll have to see how everything transpires. And, and, and you hit the nail right on the head there because I was thinking the same thing. When you haven't played for that long and all this other action's going on in front of you, and then bang, Selection Sunday's here, and they're actually watching these conference tournaments wrap up, and then they go in the room and they just saw that, and they saw all these conference tournaments and everything, they do tend to remember that. And somebody will throw Drake out there and be like, Oh, yeah, they, they had an all right season, too, huh? And it's mm-hmm. like, so it, it, it is an, an, instant, an, an interesting dynamic mm-hmm. to see exactly what happens and what's going to transpire. So, yeah, I mean, I certainly wouldn't put a Mishua in. And, and you mentioned, can they beat a fifth or sixth team in the Big Ten? I've heard some projections that have nine teams from the Big Ten oh, yeah. going into the tournament. Yeah. I don't know if they could beat any of the nine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, great point. And speaking of the Big Ten yesterday, what a disappointing performance by Maryland. And here's a team that is probably going to be in the tournament. You could say maybe they're on the bubble or whatever. But they had a home game against Penn State yesterday. And Penn State is one of those teams that more than likely isn't going to be in. But Penn State is one of those teams that that fights hard, plays hard. They just have a losing record. And so Maryland is leading this game from the start. Maryland scored the first 12 points of this game yesterday. It was 12 nothing, just like that. Penn State came back a little bit. It was a 10-point game at halftime. I believe it was 33-23. to Second half, Maryland opens up back up again. You're not thinking anything about this. It's a 14-16 point game. Up until about the three-and-a-half minute mark, it's a 14-point game. So, of course, I turn it off and say, okay, this, this is done. Then curiosity got me, and I go back within you know, the final two minutes and watch that. And then Penn State goes on this monster run. Next thing you know, they're, they're down six. They hit a three. They're down three. Then they come back and hit a two. They're down one. Next thing they get another stop. And then they're up one. And Maryland never scored again, basically. And it was like, what happened here? It was senior day. They're in College Park. And they just fell apart. And Maryland, I think they had like four or five seniors there on senior day. They played not to lose. They were milking the clock at the end. They ended up short on their last, what, three or four possessions of the game. They tensed up. Penn State just playing without care. And again, they erased a 16-point lead to win the game on senior day at Maryland. And just goes to your point there, anybody can beat anybody in the Big Ten. We saw earlier in the day with Michigan State beating Michigan, coming back, what, three days earlier when Michigan pasted Michigan State. Well, yeah, and, and, and we saw Illinois blow Michigan off, but everybody yeah. thinks Michigan's the best team there. And then you see Illinois, and you talk about a team that went cold. How about Ohio State? <laughs> Ohio State, some people thought was going to get a number one seed. Now they've lost five in a row, or maybe it's six in a row. Yeah. They missed their last ten shots in that game. They gave away that game right now, so they're not on a popular trend right now. So many of these teams in the Big Ten, and I still will say it has a lot to do with as much as everybody relies on the three-point shot today. If your guys are hot from the three-point line, almost anybody can beat almost anybody. But if you're having a cold day or if your superstar gets in foul trouble or something like that, you can also potentially lose to almost anybody. And we've certainly seen that in the Big Ten, and we've seen it in other conferences. And it's also going to be interesting in this year's tournament because I know there was some out-of-conference play, but not like we've normally seen in the past. You know, Everybody, oh, the Big Ten is the best conference out there. Oh, the Big 12 is really pretty good, but they're not quite. What are we going to see when these conferences start playing each other? Because we don't have that crossover that we normally have had here. 
in basketball this year. That's what we're going to see, and that's when everyone's going to be dissecting it, going, well, you know, this conference is, you know, three and one in their first four games, or this one's this, you know, there's going to be a lot of those measuring sticks out there. So it is interesting. It makes it one of the most interesting March Madness tournaments I think that we've ever had. But at the same time, I'm wondering, is it going to be harder for people to handicap it? Or are they just going to go, these are my strong suits here and this is my criterion. We're going to roll with it or something, you know. Uh, uh, guys like Matt Holt and Scott Spritzer and friends of ours on that. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how they attack this from a handicapping standpoint this year. No, I agree. I, it's, it's very tough. I know I'm going to have a hard time handicapping it too because, again, there's no regions. There's no large fan bases. And, again, you just don't know how people are, are going to be, be ready for this. Again, playing in empty buildings and going to unfamiliar places because, again, a lot of these conference tournaments are in different locations. The Big Ten has been in Chicago for a long, long time. They're going to Indianapolis, and they've, you know, obviously they've been to the city before. They understand that. It, it also it, makes sense because with the whole tournament being in the state of Indiana, yeah. why not get you know adjusted in that? It almost gives them a little bit of a home court advantage going into the tournament that they'll all be kind of in familiar mm-hmm. in, in familiar mm-hmm. surroundings. But they all won't be playing, you know where? No, no, I, I know that. But I'm, I'm, I'm just saying they'll, they'll still be right. in that in Indiana, yeah. and that so the yeah. not that there's a big time change there, anyway, right. except from you know Rutgers is East Coast and that because. Right. Big Ten's not really Big Ten anymore, but <laughs> Maryland but, Rutgers, but, yeah. but, but but whatever. The, at least they'll all all seven, eight, nine, however many teams actually get in, they'll already be in that mm. scenario in that where they can then mm. just figure out, okay, what region are we going to Bloomington? Are we going to Indianapolis? Are we going to Fort Wayne or wherever they're having all these damn things? <laughs> I don't even know what they're what they're all using. <laughs> and you bring up a good point about Ohio State. I still saw. Uh, prognosticators yesterday have them on the two line. Are you kidding me? A number two seed? You're telling me Ohio State is one of the eight best teams in the country? No, they're not right now, especially the way that they have finished the season. And a lot of these games have been non-competitive. Well, for, and they've wilted down the stretch. In, Big cr- time. in crunch time, they've yeah. got crunched. And they had the <laughs> Illinois game. On their home floor, they were pretty much in control of that game throughout. They didn't have huge leads, but they led throughout. And then... Here we go. Just like the the Penn State uh, game that I described earlier, the way they came back on Maryland yesterday, that's exactly what Illinois did. And then Illinois won going away. You know, after they they hit the three to tie it up with under a minute to go, and then Ohio State never scored again. Well, when when you miss your last ten shots, usually not a recipe for success. Yeah, I think they had sixty eight points with like three minutes to go or something, and they ended with sixty eight points. Exactly. (laughs) It was it was it was crazy. And then you look at the Wisconsin-Iowa game yesterday. Another marquee game. And Iowa jumped out all over them. I think the first score I saw was like 21-6, you know, 21-9. And then, lo and behold, Wisconsin comes back, takes the lead in the final minute of the game. And then uh, uh, Iowa ended up uh, hanging on for a four-point victory in this one. But uh, just just total craziness that uh, that happens there. And if you watch that, Iowa-Wisconsin game, it was like a two-hour and 45-minute game because I believe they had like seven or eight stops to go go replay review. It was just insane. That's driving me crazy, too, because oh. they're overdoing it. It's like, okay, I, if you want to look at it, but they take forever to look at it. Well, you know, th- boy, this one's going to be hard to overturn because you can't re- – well, if you, ca- if you can see it clearly, then make it as soon as you do, and if you can't, then go with the call on the court – and play the damn game. You know, it, it's frustrating when you're watching a game on television, like that game yesterday. But when you are at a game, it, in these conditions, because I went to the WCC game the other night, and then you know, gone to a couple UNLV games, when there is no crowd in the building, and they're going repeatedly to go look at the monitor, you got nothing to do. I mean, you've got nothing really to do. There's nothing on the Jumbotron that they're showing. You've got no band to listen to. You got nothing going on. You have to start. Okay, when when are we going to come back here? I want to peruse my phone. Is that what I'm going to do? At least in, at home, you're used to this nonsense, and you're going to the remote control. You're doing something. You're getting up. You're going to eat. I mean, you, you can't even get up when you're at the game to go get something to eat because there's no food there. Just to emphasize that point, during the Michigan State Michigan game, they were doing a review of one of the out of bounds, and I'm like, oh boy, this could go either way. 
And I'm like, okay, so, well, let me see what's going on in the hockey game here on NBC Sports. Yeah. All right, now let me see what's going on in Tennis Channel because there's a couple tennis tournaments going on that I'm looking at. Then I also flipped it over to the uh, Illinois, the, the Loyola Drake game. Right. I, I channel surf for like three or four different things. I think I even checked out an old Criminal Minds SVU or something and like that. And you came back and the referee still had the headsets and they off. still didn't have it. And I'm like, oh, my God, make the call. It's going to be pl- brutal. Plus, it also screws up the rhythm of the team. Yes. If one team is trying to get a comeback, you've completely doused their rhythm, you, and you're almost giving the teams like another timeout because mm-hmm. they're looking at the monitor. The coaches are going, "Come here, guys. We don't have, let, let's take advantage of this right now." They're, it's just, it's crazy. It completely messes up the flow of a game. Okay, but would you rather them get the right call or take take an abundance of time here? I'd rather them. You only get one of the two choices. I'd, I'd rather them. I, I don't want that much time. There should be okay. a time, just like there's a time clock on the shot clock. Okay. There should be a, a, a shot clock time on the review. Why is if, and why if, isn't there? If you can't make the call in 30 seconds, then keep it on the court and move the game along. And, and here's the difference too, compared to football, is that all three officials working the game, they all take a peek at it. Now the one guy goes over. Then he comes back and talks, okay, we have a decision finally made. Nah, Bill, you go look at it now. And then he goes and looks at it. Then the two guys look at it together. The other guy who's just sitting there minding where the ball is and everything. Okay, you got it? Oh, now my turn? Okay, now he goes. At least in the NFL, the referee goes under the hood, whatever, talks to the replay official. You know, we've had different, you know, uh, scopes the way that has transpired and through evolution the last few years with that, but... At least the NFL seems to to get it down. College football seems to get it down. But we don't have multiple officials going to view it. How many guys does it really take to go view this? And if you're going to do it all together, then let's go all do it together one-on-one or, you know, three-on-whatever. Have them do it right then and there instead of I go look, you go look, you go look. And now we're four and a half minutes later. Well, yeah, I'll tell you one thing that does drive me crazy, and it is more about football than I see in the other sports. And the NHL also drives me crazy where all four of them huddle around and go, what did you see, what do you see? Why don't you go to – they don't go to the replay on some stuff when they could, and they're trying to talk about what each other saw. But that's a different thing. But what drives me really crazy in football, and I know that you've seen this because we all have, when they're showing the replays on TV and they go, there's the definitive view of it. You see it right there what happened. Now let's look at some other angles. No! Once you have the definitive view, use it, make the call, and play the damn game. I don't need to see. That's like finding your car keys and going, well, I can't believe I left them right here on the kitchen table. I wonder if maybe I left them in the bedroom when you already have them in your hand. When you have them in your hand, the search is over. That's the first time I've heard that analogy of, <laughs> uh, of, a, of a replay in sports. To find the car keys are right in front of you. But what do people always say when they're looking right. for something? Right. You'll, you'll never guess where I found it. I found it the last place I looked. Yeah. Of course it was the last place you looked, because once you found it, you're not looking anymore, unless you're a total idiot. Where's the first place you should look for your shades, for your sunglasses? On the top of my head. There you go. Exactly. There it is. <laughs> what the mundo. <laughs> Let's keep looking. Especially the older you get, the more you find that. Yeah. <laughs> How many times have you left, your, left your, your soda or your food on top of your car? That ever happened a couple times? I, I really don't have that problem. But maybe it's because my, my soda is my life's blood. So, you know. <laughs> Put it on top, open the car, whatever. But you everything's know, in a row. It's like Dracula leaving the blood bank without taking a sample with him or something. It just doesn't work for me. <laughs> Say no more, Squire. That's it. Frank doesn't go anywhere without his Coca-Cola. We, we can relate to that. It's pretty much a staple. <laughs> Matt Holt will join us uh, today, uh, our good friend from U.S. Integrity, and then also on the sportsbook side as well, too. We will talk. Matt, obviously, has um, great contacts within the college basketball industry, as uh, those are his clients from the Integrity side, the WCC, the Pac-12, the Mountain West Conference, all these universities as well, too. So we'll get his thoughts about no fans in the stands for these college basketball tournaments and uh, also – you know, talking about the Gonzaga situation where they will be in attendance tonight. And again, like we mentioned a couple weeks ago, there was that uh, consideration that they may not come to Las Vegas. Mark Few was very outspoken saying, hey, I'd much rather have these games, you know, here. 
have people come to us and go, well, Mark, that's really not going to work out so well. Or, I'm still not sure that Mark Few wants to be here. They kind no. of they yeah. kind of handcuffed them and said, look, if you're not here, then nobody's here. And he he kind of put the NCAA kind of said, well, Gonzaga, you're speaking for the whole conference now. What are you going to do for your conference? Right. And uh, the NCAA came down and said, listen, if you're going to boycott this tournament, then we're not going to allow you in the NCAA tournament. And then all of a sudden, we never heard anything more about that. And again, we've talked about this many times on the show, is that would be a tough precedent to set. Because Baylor was talking about when they were undefeated at the point in time, well, let's don't risk it. You know, we don't want to get COVID. We, you know, want to get to the NCAA tournament. And Gonzaga really pushed the envelope with this. They talked to to the West Coast Conference. They talked to the NCAA about this. And they said, hey, we don't feel comfortable going to Vegas. And again, I, I never understood that because you've been traveling all season long. If you're Gonzaga, you're in the Pacific Northwest, most of your games are on that you travel, you've got to go a distance. I mean, you're, you're coming down to Los Angeles to, to play those games. You've got to go to Provo, Utah to play at BYU. You know, you're going to Central California to play uh, Pacific. Sure, you've got Portland in your conference, but really th- that's about it. I mean, you have to travel. So you've been traveling successfully the entire regular season. Your trip to Vegas where you're going to play a maximum of two games on the last two days – when there's only going to be four teams there, and they came in yesterday, just so, you know, again, this term has been going on since Wednesday. Right. And Gonzaga with the double bye, they play tonight their first game at 6 o'clock, and then if they win, they play tomorrow. So all of this talk and all this nonsense really is unnecessary. You're, you're traveling every week just about. You come to Vegas. You're used to this. You know where you stay. You want you understand how to get to the how, how to get to the arena. What you're doing? They decide they didn't want to stay. Traditionally, Gonzaga usually stays at the Orleans, or they'll stay at the Palms. Obviously, the Palms are are closed. Some teams will stay at the Aria, but Gonzaga decided to stay in Henderson. They said we want to be as far away from the strip as possible, and they secluded themselves only for like I said, they came in yesterday, so really not that big a deal at all. Will that have an effect on them? as they get ready to play their game, because they haven't played in over a week now, and really not wanting to be there, are they going to look past St. Mary's and potentially BYU or the winner of the BYU-Pepperdine game tonight? I don't see them looking past anybody because I think they realize that they're on the brink of potential history by being the the next team to go undefeated the entire season, so I think that is a focal point. But I do find it ironic, even though it's not a big difference, you didn't want to do any travel. You wanted to stay home. You wanted everybody to have to come to your place. I guess I can't totally blame Mark Few for that. I mean, you know, if, if, if you think you're the king of the conference and maybe you can get away with it, throw it out there and see if it sticks when you throw it. But then to stay in Henderson, you're complaining about traveling, so now you intentionally are someplace where you're going to have to travel to all the games instead of literally just walking from your hotel rooms right into the Orleans where the games are being played. So you've added travel in Vegas when you were against traveling. Is that really that big of a deal? You're getting on a no, bus and, and, and that's for what I, that, minutes, But yeah. that's what I said. I said, yeah. I know it's not that big of a deal, right. it's just, but, it's, but it's still like... But, but again, you didn't, you didn't have to get on the bus or do anything. You could literally just have the room service, have your meals in that, and walk right to the arena. No wear and tear, no catching a bus, no anything else out there. And, you know, and, and on a bus, you are still in that enclosed environment in that for that half-hour drive or whatever, depending on traffic and everything. Yeah. I, I just don't understand what makes Henderson safer than the place where you're already playing the I, games. I know, right? I guess... You know, hey, we're not on the strip in their mind. I mean, they're from Spokane, but Washington. But the Orleans thinking, isn't on the strip I, either. I, and they I know understand. that because they're here every year. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And again, not all the teams stay at the Orleans. They do stay on the strip at, at various hotels. And Gonzaga has, has kind of bounced around. I know they have stayed at the Palms. I know they've stayed at the Orleans before. Who knows, man? Crazy stuff. Yeah. So Stay at the Palms? No, it's closed. It's, yeah. it's got to be the safest place of all. There's nobody there. It's in the parking garage, right? <laughs> there it is. Just go to one of those suites. They're all wide open. <laughs> so, Gonzaga, St. Mary's tonight at 6 o'clock. BYU Pepperdine, looking forward to both games. Gonzaga, if uh, you're interested in wagering on the game, Gonzaga, an 18-point favorite in this one. Well, for a team that's won their games by an average of 24 points Correct. a game, that might not actually be that bad of a bet. Yep, every game by double digits. So, I'm thinking about laying it, no problem. A little teaser pleaser, get it down to about 12. Could do that as well, too. Pay that man his money. 
And BYU and Pepperdine, uh, Pepperdine's got a special player. If you haven't seen Kobe Ross yet, this guy, he's not Steph Curry, and a lot of people like to compare him to Steph Curry, same type of builds, but uh, this guy is just phenomenal. One of the best shooters uh, in the country. Are they going to have enough to knock off BYU? That would be interesting to see. But then again, with this double-buy situation, we've seen Gonzaga and these teams with the one and two seeds get off to slow starts because these other teams have been playing. And again, it's you haven't played in over a week anyway, so... It'll be interesting to see how this transpires tonight. But Gonzaga seeking the to be the first team to go undefeated since the 75-76 Indiana Hoosier team. And like you said, Frank, average margin of victory, 24 points per game. And again, we've seen other undefeated teams heading into the tourney. But once they get to the field of, well, now it's 68. Prior to that, 64. 68 plus, it, it plus alternates. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It, it hasn't happened, and Rebel fans know better than anybody else. I mean, coming off that national championship in 1990, they thought that 90, 90 91 season was, you know, they were going to go back to back easy. They were 34 0 when they, you know, went into that game against Duke. And again, a little overconfident. Duke came back and got him. And then we had a Wichita State team, which I remember very well in 2014. They were 35-0, and and they got beat by Kentucky. And talk about no respect. I mean, Kentucky was your second-round game for Wichita State. It's like, wait a minute. Wait, we're 35-0? and We're the number one overall seed, and we get Kentucky in round two? Wait a minute. Something wrong with that. And Kentucky beat them. And then the following year, Kentucky was the number one overall seed. They were 38 no. And then they got beat by Wisconsin in the Final Four. So isn't that when they had like yeah. five or six players drafted in the first round oh, yeah. or whatever? Well, that was that. I mean, the, that the whole time, thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it was yeah. just ridiculous. I yeah. mean, the roster that they had in that. But but again, what's one thing that all those undefeated teams had in common with this Gonzaga team? They didn't play close games. Right. I'm. I want to see the Zags in a close game. And we definitely didn't get the non-conference schedule that Gonzaga normally plays. Well, and, and, Baylor. and the Baylor game, yep. which was the one that everybody was looking for, right. never got rescheduled, and it was canceled because of the COVID issues. Right. That was the one that maybe we would have seen something. Right. All right. So no fans in attendance uh, tonight at the Orleans. And then, like we said, the Mount West Conference Tournament will get underway uh, on Wednesday as well, too. And here's a little shout-out, too, to the Mount West Conference women. UNLV, a number two seed, they actually have a shot to go to the NCAA tournament, and they are playing some fantastic basketball right now. So I know a lot of uh, fans may not dive into the, the women's games, but in UNLV, uh, pay attention. And obviously you can't go to, to the games, uh, the women's side or the men's side at the Thomas and Mack Center, but uh, they'll open play tonight against Wyoming. But it would be great to see the UNLV women and uh, how about that? The, the women go to the NCAA tournament, you know, before the men do. Well, you can, and, and, you can never say that in the past. And, and talk about something that's so 2020, 2021. Hmm. UNLV might have the home court disadvantage playing at the Thomas and Mac because they were undefeated in, in road games in the conference this year. Right. That's you know, that they might actually be better off not being at home because <laughs> they've been so dominant on the road. And, and again, with no fans in that, I mean, I'm sure that they are glad that they can be here and sleep in their own beds and everything like that. But, boy, you talk about one team that wouldn't mind being on the road. It might be the Lady Rebels. Yeah. Well, good luck to them. I'd love to see them pull it off and, and qualify for the tournament. That'd, that'd be fantastic. Oh, and by the way, everybody that laughed about that game against Stanford and why is she doing this for her old coach and they got absolutely mm. thumped and stomped on in that. What did UNLV's coach do in that? Said, see, that's what we aspire to be someday. Okay, we're not them now, but learn from that game. She didn't throw away the video. They used it to show how to do things right. How much better are the Lady Rebels right now? So sometimes you take adversity and you turn it into a positive. That's what the Lady Rebels have done this year. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it it prepares you for the tournament because if you do qualify for the tournament – you're gonna you're gonna face some some big time teams and none bigger than Stanford. Stanford just came here, you know, to T-Mobile Arena and won the Pac-12 Women's Title this past weekend, going away. And that's how strong that they are. So, well, all right, they're a dynamite club. They're dynamite. All right, uh, next hour we are going to visit with uh, Al Bernstein and a very special day today. If you are a boxing fan or you're just even a casual sports fan. 
you would remember what March 8th, 1971 means, and that is today, the 50th anniversary of Ali Frazier 1 at Madison Square Garden, uh, the fight of the century. And at that point in time, it was billed as so much more than just a boxing match. It meant so much more uh, with our society or culture at that point in time. Of course, the greatest, Muhammad Ali involved, smoking Joe Frazier. Uh, we're going to dive into that with Al Bernstein. And I don't know if you got a chance to see ESPN's uh, production of that. They did a special on it uh, over the weekend, and it was fantastic. Because what they did, they took the old footage and they uh, digitized it, and they did a fantastic job. Going back 50 years, in, you know, the color was crisper. They went HD. It was great, and they had some great analysis from Andre Ward and uh, Joe Tessitore and company, and they really broke it down. Uh, they did a fantastic job of going back to show the old ABC Y World of Sports with Howard Cosell when he had Ali and Frazier on the set there when they were getting ready to fight their rematch three years later, uh, when they got into this scuffle. Um, you know, it was, it was great stuff. ESPN did a fantastic job of producing this, and I'm sure they're going to you know, replay it, or you can probably find it online somewhere. But if you get a chance, about an hour-and-a-half special, the 50th anniversary of Ali Frazier. So we'll discuss that with, uh, with Al Bernstein uh, today as well, too. So a lot to do, a lot to talk about. We come back, Matthew Holt will join us, and we talk WCC tournament. We talk college basketball in general. Plus, we're going to recap 259, UFC 259 from Saturday night. That was some crazy stuff. We talked about that at the Cosmopolitan on Friday. Looking forward to a, a great uh, a great card. Not all the matches lived up to the hype, but uh, there was some controversy. We'll touch upon that when we come back. Back to more nonstop sports talk with the Dr. T.C. Martin. All right, now's the time to get the William Hill mobile app. It is the time where you can bet from the palm of your hand, bet from home, wherever you're at. If you can't get to the book, download it first on your phone. Then get over to the sports book and deposit at least $50 into a new account, and they will match it with an additional $50. That's right. Go over to the Cosmopolitan or any of the William Hill Sportsbook properties. There's tons of them around town. Use the promo code TC50. Use that, TC50, $50 into your account for FREE. Now is the time, as the madness has arrived, get the William Hill mobile app. All right, Matthew Holt. And not only has he arrived, I mean, he's been here for a long time as well, too. And uh, U.S. Integrity, what is going on, my man? TC, how we doing? It's championship week. March Madness is upon us. It is. It is. And we'll be watching it all, not just the, the tournaments here in Vegas, but we got, you know, some Horizon League action tonight. Uh, you've, you've, got, you've got it all, man. You've got it all. So dive in, start handicapping, and we got to start looking at some of these smaller conferences, right, Matt, to, to do our handicapping and get ready for the field of 68. Yeah, we got two more conference champions going to be crowned tonight. That'll, so we're going to have two more entrants into the field of 68, as well as four sets of semifinals tonight with the Colonial, the Horizon, the Summit, and the WCC. So we're going to have a bunch more champions crowned tomorrow. It's a crazy time of the year, and I love it. All right, yeah, four teams have already punched their tickets, like he said, two more tonight. Then a couple more uh, tomorrow night as well, too. And then uh, we get ready for a big weekend with, uh, I guess you might want to call it like the big boy tournaments. So uh, looking forward to all that. All right, my friend, let's talk a little WCC. I know this is uh, uh, very close to your heart as well, too. You do a lot of work with this conference, like with so many. But uh, no fans at the Orleans Arena. Gonzagan is in action tonight. Uh, should be two pretty good games, even though we've got a couple big point spreads, especially Gonzaga-St. Mary's. But we're used to this with Gonzaga being an 18-point favorite. They have, uh, they're undefeated. Their average margin of victory is 24 points. Randy Bennett's teams have had some problems scoring. I mean, the game the other night against Loyola Marymount, it was a real ugly game. I believe the final was like 52-47. to 47. Then I think it was like 56-51, something like that, when they played BYU before. Uh, what do you expect to see from Gonzaga tonight, considering they've had the double bye? You know, this is a little bit of a tricky game to figure out because I do believe that there is some anxiety on the 
Gonzaga part, and how can there not be? They didn't want to play this tournament. Their head coach made it fairly public and vocal that they didn't really want to be here. And, you know, there was some talk about potentially canceling the tournament and, and uh, you know, just declaring Gonzaga the champion. At the end of the day, they decided to play it. Gonzaga staying out all by themselves at a hotel, out in Henderson, away from everybody else. Basically, Gonzaga, I could say this with a lot of confidence, is much more focused on avoiding COVID and getting out of here without any COVID issues and getting on to Indianapolis for the big dance than they are about this tournament. With that being said, I'm just not sure that St. Mary's can score enough points to even make this thing interesting. From a betting perspective, I think if I was going to bet this, I would probably look to the under because St. Mary's is going to do a good job of controlling pace, and they they just go so slow. If you're Gonzaga, you can't really make them play any too much faster than they want to play. Um, so at the end of the day, I'm not sure. I don't know that they'll score enough points to cover the 18, so I'm probably going to – I would certainly probably leave that alone. But I think under 142 might be the value here. I could easily see this game being like 83-55 kind of range. Mm, yeah, well, yeah, 142, 141.5, that is the total number. And again, uh, Gonzaga by 18. Let's go back to what you talked about before because – we were kind of concerned about this. Gonzaga, you know, you've said, really not interested in coming to Vegas. We know that Mark Few is very vocal about this. He actually wanted to stay home, but you know, the NCA basically said, no, you know, you guys are you're not you're not going to be able to boycott th- this thing and expect to go to Indianapolis and play. I mean, we know that Gonzaga is was saying that they're fearful of contracting the virus and ruining their chance to go to Indy. Uh, how true do you really feel? that this is the case? I think it's 100% true. I mean, at the end of the day, think of what's on the line. This is, we're talking about a university and a conference that missed their, match, their March Madness money last year. And I can assure you, for these non-football conferences, especially these non-football conferences that have powerhouse basketball teams, their entire athletic budgets are dependent on that March Madness revenue Gonzaga is a team that you can basically, in this tournament, feels like you could pencil them in for four units. At four units, you're talking about $18 million. Six units, if they go to the championship game, you know, you're looking at about $25 million. That concern is real. After having it taken away last year, I mean, so many of these schools have had to cut sports and, and in some cases, shutting down athletic programs. You, they couldn't survive. I could tell you this, Gonzaga's athletic department would not survive if they were not given any March Madness money this year. So the concern on the Mark Few and Gonzaga side is certainly real. So if Gonzaga is that worried about coming out here for two games in Vegas, how are they going to handle the concerns of what they're going to do in Indianapolis where they might be there for three or four weeks? Or, well, or I mean, Indiana? That's a little bit of a weird question. At the end of the day, they're in a bubble. Let's face it, we have history that shows us in the NBA and the NHL, that the bubble works. I mean, the NBA went through with zero cases of COVID, I think, in their bubble. The NHL had two, um, and none of the games in the postseason for either league were canceled. So far, history says bubbles work. So at the end of the day, I think you feel a lot safer in an environment that's a bubble than in, in a situation out here where it's not. You know, basically, there's no bubble out in Vegas. You're just you're going to Vegas with a bunch of teams, staying at a bunch of hotels, um, it's a much different situation, I think. So should they have made the the conference do a bubble scenario? Would that have made Gonzaga feel safe for coming out here? Uh, the, bubble, the problem with bubble scenarios is while they seem great in theory and in practice, they're very expensive. I mean, you're forcing an entire area to basically shut down to other customers so that you can keep it as a bubble. The NBA basically rented out Disney World. I mean, so at the end of the day, you you had this huge space. The NBA can afford a bubble. The NHL could afford a mini bubble. Major League Baseball could afford to do a semi bubble. If you're the West Coast Conference, you probably can't afford a bubble, and thus you're doing the best you can as a conference. But I also don't blame Gonzaga for having reservations. They make zero dollars for coming out here to Vegas and playing this tournament. 
even when there is fans, and let's face it, Gonzaga brings 85% of the fans for the entire conference mm-hmm. tournament, even when there is fans, this thing's a break-even for all the schools involved with the travel and, and, and all everything that comes associated with it from a cost perspective. Yet March Madness is real money. Those units are real money. We're talking the difference between a conference tournament with all the risk and zero dollars where an NCAA tournament in a bubble and you potentially make $25 million. I don't even think the two are comparable. So, Matt, we know that these teams, and I've seen Gonzaga, sometimes they've stayed at the Orleans right there. They can walk into the building. I've seen them stay at the Palms. Obviously, that's very, very close, and they're closed down right now. Teams have stayed at the Aria in, in, in the close proximity. What is the advantage for Gonzaga staying out in Henderson? Nobody else is staying out there. None of the other teams are staying out there. Their goal is just to get as far away from people as possible. I mean, just to be as far away from – and we all think it's – I mean, some people probably think it's silly. Some people probably think it's the smartest thing they've ever done. Um, and, And my office has been open now since last Memorial Day. So we've been in the office, and I know some people haven't left their house in a year, and everybody's situation's different. But I completely understand the fear and reserve. As someone who's been working from his office since last Memorial Day, I could totally get the fear and reservations from Gonzaga. You can make zero dollars. You're going to be the number one overall seed regardless in the NCAA tournament. You have nothing to gain and potentially 25 million reasons why you just want to get on to Indianapolis healthy, safe, and COVID-free. All right, Matthew Holt joins us, U.S. Integrity, talking about Gonzaga here in Las Vegas for the semifinal tonight of the WCC tournament. First game against St. Mary's, 6 o'clock, BYU-Pepperdine, the nightcap uh, tournament that we always look forward to. Great fan bases led by Gonzaga, led by BYU. No fans in attendance at all tonight. So, Matt, when we look at this game with Gonzaga and St. Mary's, with this mindset that you're talking about, about really not wanting to be there you know, really more concerned about not getting COVID. Could they be looking past St. Mary's tonight, and could this be prime for Randy Bennett's team? Well, that's why I think the under has some value. Because if you're Gonzaga, A, you're not looking to run it up. B, you're probably looking to get your stars off the court as soon as possible. And C, you are distracted. I'm sure that there's some portion of their mind is like, oh, my goodness, we just need to get these two games done and get out of here and get to Indianapolis and get in that bubble as soon as possible. But I just don't know that St. Mary's has the firepower to keep up. The one thing we do do know about St. Mary's, who, by the way, had a losing record in the WCC this year, is they do a pretty good job, regardless of opponent, of dictating their pace, and they want this game to be played in the 50s. Now, are you holding Gonzaga to 50? Probably not. But that you know, if you force me to bet this game, I'd probably take the 18 because I think there's enough distractions and the pace might be slow enough to where they might be able to slide inside that number. But I think if you force me to make any bet on this game, I'd feel more confident going under 142 than I would take in the 18. All right, going back to the conference itself, we know that the WCC seems very paranoid. No fans allowed, basically very limited media allowed, no friends and family. We're, we're not seeing anything here. Talk a little bit about, from that perspective about why the WCC has been so tight along with some of these other conferences, and maybe even more so than the Mount West, even more so than the Pac-12, because at least the Pac-12 is saying, okay, friends and family can come. Well, the Pac-12, first of all, the Pac-12, they're outside of USC. Oregon, who's won 10 of their last 11 games, is pegged to be an 8 seed right now. An 8 seed for your outright conference champion who won 10 of 11. So I don't think that the Pac-12 has any dreams or aspirations of winning a national championship in basketball this year. Number two, they have a lot more money because of their TV revenue. And number three, they did get some football money for participating in the football season and the television revenue that comes along with it. Conferences like the WCC, the Big East with Villanova, the Missouri Valley with Loyola Chicago, they don't have football. They don't get that football money, that D1 FBS football money, and the TV revenue that comes along with it. March Madness literally supports their entire athletic budget, and thus it is so critical they get these teams to Indianapolis COVID-free. 
when it comes to all the basketball tournaments that are that are out here in Vegas, what's the one that you're looking forward to the most? What one do you think could be competitive? Maybe even a sleeper one out there that some people should maybe pay more attention to than they're going to. I think the the Mountain West and the Pac-12 are both going to be amazing tournaments. I mean, look at the top of the Pac-12 with UCLA and Oregon and USC at the top. All three of those teams are playing really good basketball right now. That Oregon-UCLA game last week was a dogfight. Oregon pulled away late, but UCLA led for most of that game. USC is amazing. If you haven't had a chance to watch this USC team play, I think you need to watch it. They're the tallest team in the conference. That doesn't even include in Colorado. If, if Stanford gets to Silva back, they could be live. I think there's going to be some really good games in the Pac-12 conference, even in the quarters, never mind the semis and the finals. And then the Mountain West, assuming that the 1, 2, 3, and 4 all get to the semifinals, you're talking about four teams right now who are all plugged in, although albeit between 8 seeds and 11 seeds, but they're plugged into the NCAA tournament right now. If you look at Lenardi's bracket, he has four Mountain West tournament teams. I'd love to see those four go round-robin one last time. Boise State, Colorado State, Utah State, and San Diego State. Can they get by Nevada and UNLV and avoid someone throwing a monkey wrench into the tournament? Who knows? So for that reason, I think those two tournaments are really, really good this year because of the amount of even matchups you're going to get. I'll take the under right now. If someone's telling me four Mountain West teams are getting in the tournament, I'll take the under. I'll take it from anybody, anywhere. Where, where can I? What's my max limit bet on that one, Matt? I agree with you. I actually... And, and I, I think some of those late-season losses, Boise losing to Fresno, I said I thought two were going to get in, and everybody tells me I'm crazy, that all four of them are deserving. Um, maybe three get in, and I'm wrong, but I, I can't see four either. And I get the fact that they're all there now. But, but if Boise and Colorado State both don't make it to the Mountain West championship game, which it'll mean they'll have upset San Diego State and Utah State along the way, then I'm not sure that, that either one of them gets in. But I understand they're right there in the bubble. And what's interesting this year for both of those teams is if some teams do get COVID between Sunday and their first game Friday, then there's a real chance that the you know one or two teams out of that four that are left out could then sneak back in the NCAA tournament because they're going to be, if they don't make it, they're going to be in that group of the first five teams out. So really exciting this year for the Mountain West at the top. All right, Matt, before we uh, leave uh, college basketball, real quick handicap on BYU Pepperdine. A lot of people feel that BYU is already in the tournament. Again, they get a double bye as well, too. Uh, give me some quick thoughts as BYU is laying eight and a half. Tricky game here, and we're seeing the Sharps come in heavy on Pepperdine. This line open nine all the way down to eight. Look, this is a Pepperdine team that I think is set up really well to beat BYU. They already own a win over BYU this year, 76-73 earlier in the season. So Lorenzo Romar's squad has shown he can play with it. They have a, you know, a veteran star, which makes a difference in Colby Ross, who's a senior averaging 18.5 points a game. I thought that plus nine looked awful juicy with Pepperdine, but the Sharps gobbled it up. If I had to play it, I'd still take the plus eight. All right, UFC 259 Saturday night. I know you and Frank were watching that uh, very intently. We had some craziness. Uh, you know, the main event was the main event, I guess. Amanda Nunez, she just put on a clinic again. But uh, uh, some controversy earlier on in the undercard. Yeah, what a crazy finish with the, you know, the Pete Orion uh, illegal knee to Aljamain Sterling. And what's really disappointed me about the fight and what's really, I think, thrown a bad taste into fans' mouths is, you know, we've never seen a title change hands on a disqualification in the UFC before. And I think a lot of people just expected that if Jan did get disqualified, that maybe the title would become vacant. So watching Aljamain Sterling win the title in that way and then seeing him today on Instagram, and if I was Aljamain Sterling's manager, I might tell him to, to go ahead and hang out in the bunker for a few days till the heat comes off. He's doing just the opposite. Pictures with the belt, the belt around his shoulder. I mean, that's a bad look for a guy who is getting beat down. It looked like Pete Orion was on his way to a stoppage win or at least a decision victory over a completely gassed Aljamain Sterling and one illegal knee. And granted, people might say Aljamain Sterling's faking or he was an actor. That knee landed clean. 
mistake about it. It wasn't a legal blow. It was a devastating illegal blow. Hopefully they get the rematch done soon. And what Matt's uh, referring to is the fourth-round disqualification. Frank, maybe you can set the tone for people who didn't actually watch the fight. Yeah, I, I thought that Yan was uh, he was clearly up. I, I had him up at least two rounds to one. He was clearly winning that last round. Sterling's knee is on the ground. Now, he, Jan said that he looked over at his corner and said, what should I do? Should I hit him? And he heard somebody say, yeah, kick him. I also heard that somebody said hit him. Now, he could have backed off and hit him. It would have been clean. He could have thrown a knee to the shoulder or the chest or something else. But he threw it to the head of a guy who was clearly a downed opponent with the knee there, and it was a vicious blow. And as soon as he did that, I immediately looked at everybody I was with, and I said, he just literally threw away the championship. It's one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in my life. I, I know that it's the heat of the moment, and, and I know that his corner is trying to take the, the blame for it. You've got to know the rules there. You can't throw that knee, but it is interesting what a difference is from Sterling dropping the belt in the cage, basically saying, I don't want it because I don't want to win it that way, to now a couple of days later posing all over with it and that. But the last thing that Jan did is even if he does get another shot, which I think they definitely make this rematch, uh, it's it's going to be at least six months or more down the road because the doctors and everything else, I'm sure that Sterling's going to have some kind of medical where he can't fight for a while because that knee was vicious. Yeah, and what's interesting is the odds have opened up. So the odds closed basically a pick for that championship fight Saturday night. The odds for the rematch, which are already up, Theodore Jan, minus 280. So from a pick to minus 280 for the fighter who lost the fight. All right, and the Adesanya uh, a fight, just too, too small, Matt. Uh, again, he loses the unanimous decision, uh, and, uh, and he loses that fight light heavyweight title. You know, it's really interesting, and I tell people this all the time, because I know Twitter was a little bit upset at the beginning of that, thinking with the scorecards, not with who won the fight necessarily, but the scorecards, is they thought that Adesanya won at least two of the first three rounds, if not all three of them. And I tell this to people all the time. I've attended dozens of MMA events live in person, and my scorecards when I'm in person compared to when I'm watching on TV are always drastically different. For whatever reason, the judges in arena really favored Jan Blahovich even early. He clearly won rounds four and five with the takedown, but what a boring fight. No damage done. Neither guy really got any new fans, which for Blahovich, maybe he doesn't care. He's almost 40 years old. He's going to fight Glover Teixeira, then maybe one or two more fights and call it a career. But for Israel Adesanya, who is 20-0, 15 knockouts, the rising star of the industry, I thought this was a big setback in his quest for superstardom. All right, my man. Appreciate uh, that recap, the breakdown, and we'll talk to you more as March Madness is upon us, my friend. Uh, Great stuff as usual. Thanks, TC. Thanks, Frank. Good luck. Take care. You got it, brother. There he is, Matthew Holt, U.S. Integrity, our guy of the side of the sports book, and then also from the integrity side, giving it to us all here on this Monday. When we come back, we're going to take you back 50 years ago, one of the greatest fights of all time, smoking Joe Frazier, Muhammad Ali. Yes, the fight of the century. Al Bernstein will join us when we come back. It is a Monday, T.C. Martin Show.